Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real-life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. My guest today is my friend, John Kasman. I've known John for many, many years. We kind of came up in this business together, so it's always a pleasure to reconnect with him. He's been on the show in the past. It's been a while. And uh, we we talked about all kinds of things, how 2023 was for them, what they're doing, uh, things they've changed, what they're looking for in 2024. We talk a lot about branding. We talk a lot about his, his background specifically and kind of coming from uh, working at GM and working in the corporate world to making that transition to entrepreneurship. So just a great discussion. John's a really solid guy. Uh, as I mentioned, known him for for many years now. And so it was a pleasure to catch up and talk shop on real estate and entrepreneurship and where the market is. And I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So we'll have a word from the sponsors and then jump right in. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. John, it's great to see you again. Welcome to the show. How are you, man? Devin, great to be here, man. Great to talk to you. I'm doing well and uh, excited to, to be a part of the show today. Yeah, really glad to have you back on. And we were talking earlier in the green room. Just look forward to catching up. You know, you and I have known each other a long time, uh, watched each other's businesses grow over the years, and always love kind of swapping stories, trading notes, and just checking in. So looking forward to that. Um, before we kind of dive into all that, how about how about some background? You've been on the show before, but it's been a while. For the the audience uh, here listening, What's the what's the story about how you came to be a, a real estate entrepreneur that you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I'm the head of Casman Capital Group. We've invested with other uh, investors in over $100 million worth of real estate uh, through apartment syndications, um, mostly in the Midwest. We did some stuff in Texas and Florida and the Carolinas as well. Uh, but we kind of focus on the Midwest right now. Prior to that, I spent 15 years in corporate America, and I was doing marketing and advertising and uh, I worked at General Motors when we went through bankruptcy. And that was kind of my light bulb moment to say, you know what, maybe this corporate career is not as stable and not as safe and not as secure as I thought it was going to be. So that was really my trigger to say, you know, I better find a plan B just in case this thing doesn't work. And I started learning about real estate at that time, uh, started investing with the two unit property, turned that into, you know, uh, two unit, then three unit, then an eight unit, some flip projects. And then ultimately I found apartment syndications. So. Yeah. Well, that's a super abridged version of it, but I appreciate you giving some folks some context. I, I always like when I hear, it's interesting, you know, I'll talk, I talk to all kinds of people and I, I do advocate, Hey, you can, you can go straight into multifamily. And I do recommend learning that business model. And if you, if that's where you want to end up, 
owning big deals, you, you should start in that arena as soon as possible. But I do always appreciate somebody that kind of started out with just one little deal or a twoplex, you know, and worked their way up the ladder. And I don't think it's an absolute requirement, but God, like it teaches you so much along the way. And that's how I came up too. And I just think um, there's no right or wrong way to, 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 to do things, but I always appreciate that when somebody's kind of started small, had success, built on it, grown it. I just, I like that story. You know, I like that story a lot. How long were you doing, um, you know, smaller stuff, two units, four units before you got turned on to syndications and what, what was that pivot point for you? Yeah. So it, it was about maybe four or five years, but it was only a handful of deals in between. But really what happened for me was I'm a firm believer in education. Yep. Um, I try to, you know, sponge and, and just soak up as much information as I could find from blogs to, you know, eventually podcasts. But back when I started, I, I don't know how many podcasts were out, but blogs, if I could get a videos, um, you know, attending meetups or, you know, RIA events. And through that process, you start to build some connections and make some relationships with people and start building your own investment philosophy and thesis. And as I was acquiring those two units and, and then a three unit, there was a person who ran a meetup that um, I watched grow from, you know, just a, a three unit herself to nine units uh, and then ultimately grow to 90 units in a very, very short window. Mm -hmm. And I was just shocked. And I said, hey, you know, um, you got to, you know, tell me about this. So I, I invited her to breakfast and uh, I fully expect her to tell me that, you know, like her grandfather passed away and left her this inheritance and she sure. had to buy the properties. Right. Sure. Um, that was the only logical solution I could come up with. Like, how do you go from nine to 90 in like six to nine months? And I saw her like every month. Right. Because she ran the meetup and I went every month. So um when we got to breakfast, she told me that she had some investors out West who had been asking to work with her for a while. She finally agreed to work with them. They had an agreement. She went out and acquired these properties and they had a, you know, a JV deal in place. Nice. And I, that was really the first time that I got serious about partnering with other people. Uh, up to that point, I, I really felt like you were supposed to just do this by yourself. Right. So when I was buying my property, it was, I saved up money and I say, I, I mean, my wife and I, but we saved up our money. We bought a property. We saved up more money. We bought another property. We saved up even more money, had kids, you know, had to rebalance our checkbooks and all that. But then we <laughs> would buy another property. And that was the path I was on. And it wasn't until we bought our eight unit, which is our first commercial property. And I felt dejected because all I could think about was like, man, it's going to take me another year and a half to save up enough money to buy another property. And right around that time is when I, I had my conversation with my friend Bree. And at that moment, it kind of just all clicked. A month later, I met the person who ended up becoming my mentor. And he had raised a million dollars for his first deal. So for me, it was more of a, a sign and the universe was showing me, hey, you're having you, you want to scale. What you're doing is working but it's not working at the scale and speed that you want it to work. And the pivot really came um, right in that window. So it's about a, maybe a three-month window from talking to my friend Bree, uh, meeting my mentor. And then what, what really pushed me over the top is the company I was working for at the time um, ended up going into Chapter 12 or Chapter 11, sorry. And it was a chaotic time frame. And I mentioned in, you know, the, the brief opening that 
when I was working at GM and we went through bankruptcy, that was my trigger to say, hey, this corporate thing may not be as secure or safe as you think it is. Well, the second time it happened, I was like, dude, you were on the right path of getting this passive income of having a real estate portfolio, but it's not producing enough income and you're limited based on what you have in your own bank account. You can't go out there and just buy properties because it's a great deal because you got to check and see what's in your savings account to pull the money over. And I'm like, well, that's no way to run a business, right? I can't rely on what I have saved to run a business that is predictable and I can project, you know, revenues and things like that. So taking all of that together, I went from being kind of against raising money and feeling like I need to bootstrap it by myself to, you know what? I think that's the way. That's the path. You've got to learn how to work with other people. Uh, and I had people who were interested in working with me, but I just, you know, I didn't know how to do that. So having that mentor helped me navigate those conversations and figure out what the deal structure need to look like. Having a, a kick in the butt with my company at that time, now going through bankruptcy as well, um, put a lot of fear in my heart. And uh, I had my second child at that point. I had a flip project that was failing. So I got real motivated, motivated. real yep. fast to figure this thing out. There's so much good stuff in there. And I, you know, I, I want to underscore for people there. Sadly, there is no better motivator than, than fear and anger. I think, you know, and it might be anger at your situation, or I had a lot of anger toward former employers uh, or my situation. I had a lot of fear around kids too. You know, I've got three kids and as those, we were having those kids, it was super scary in the beginning and it was, there was no bigger motivator. So it's as cliche as it comes, but you know, these things that seem like curses are are often blessings in hindsight. So if you're if you're going through a curse right now, uh keep in mind that might that that might turn into a blessing. And I know that's hard to hear while you're going through it, but certainly sounds like that was a case for you and it's certainly been the case for me. Yeah, Devin, if I could add um at this time, I, I I kind of floated it out there, but I had a flip project that was completely failing. Two of them, actually. Love it. Uh, I, I had three rehab projects. One was supposed to be our, our forever home. Okay. Uh, it was, you know, we bought this property. We put like three, four hundred thousand dollars into the renovation. Like this is going to be a yeah. beautiful home right next to the park. Oh, man. Great, great project. Right. I had to pause that project to divert all of my attention to these failed flip projects where I wasn't supposed to be the person running those flips. I had partners, but <sighs> something happened on each one. I ended up having to step in and take over. I lost my shirt on those. So during this time frame, uh, by the way, my company's going bankrupt and I got the second kid. Um, I meet this gentleman who is basically a uh, performance coach, you know, kind of therapy coach, whatever you can call it. Yeah. And I sit down with this guy because I'm just, you know, I can't really talk to my wife about it. Like we're stressing each other out. It's just getting worse and worse every day. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I sit with this guy and I'm explaining my situation to him. I'm like, dude, it's like, it's, it's terrible. Like what am I going to do? Right. And he looks at me and he says, it sounds like you're failing forward. And I said, what? He said, it sounds like you're failing forward. And in my head, I'm like, you quack. Didn't I just tell you I got all my life falling apart? You're going to talk about some failing fool? What, is, what are you talking about? I was so upset. And it took me a couple months to really settle and process what he was trying to tell me. And it's what you just said. You may be going through it, but you will come out on the other side. As long as it doesn't destroy you, 
you know, and even if my situation was worse, even if I lost those projects, even if I, you know, I, I didn't actually get lose my job when all those things happened. I still got a paycheck. They created a new company. I was good. Right. right. But even if those things happen, as long as you got breath in your lungs, you got a chance, right? You can go and you can rebound. And that's the beauty of it. And that mindset is it's tough when you're in it, right? Because when you're in it, all you can see is the challenges. All you see is an obstacle. You see this huge wall, right? You don't see the ladder right there or the door that you can walk through. You just see a wall. So that is absolutely critical is to understand that, you know, there are options. And one of the things I do today to help me is I have a, a, a mantra and uh, as part of my affirmations that I say, and I'll share it with the audience if it's helpful. But it's uh, I have the energy, creativity, and discipline to create abundance, abundance and prosperity in my life. And the reason I say that, particularly the creativity piece, is to recognize that I'm going to face challenges. It's on me to find creative solutions for those challenges. And, and that's something that you know I try to just remind myself of is that no matter what happens, again, someone quits on you, um, you know, investor pulls out on a deal, uh, you know contractor rips you off, whatever it is, it may suck, but you have the creativity and the ability to navigate that situation, overcome it and find the best possible outcome. That's it. That's it. And that's, that attitude is what separates the doers from the, from the wishers, right? There's a lot of people that want to be doing all manner of things, but especially real estate investing, real estate investing on a big scale. That's the difference right there. It's not pretty. Right. I wish it wasn't that way. That's the way it is. Right. And and I've just seen a thousand times in my own businesses. I didn't really, I mean, our our businesses are what they are today from what I like to say is like trying a thousand doors that didn't work. And then the one that opened led to the next thing. And that's kind of led to what it what it's at now. But it's all through all the pivots we've done have all been through pain all pain kind of indicating where we should go next. Um, wish, wish it didn't have to be that way, but, but that's how it is. You know, that's how it is. So I think the sooner you embrace that um, and realize you can probably with anything, right. They talk about running, you know, where it's your, your mind that quits first way before your body does. And I, I think we've all got a lot more runway than we think in us. And if you're in kind of a safe, comfortable environment, you're never going to, you're never going to test those limits. You're never going to really know what you're capable of. And again, I wish it was, I wish it wasn't that way. Wish it was more comfortable, but it's, it's just not growth is growth is uncomfortable. So I, I love hearing you say that. I love sharing, you know, that transparently so that people can understand if they're going through something right now, or they're starting out their business that they're certainly not alone. Right. And that's just kind of the way this stuff, the way this stuff works. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's talk about, you know, I want to talk about, um, we're, we're talking in January of 2024 new year in some ways, hopefully a hopeful new year based on a lot with the federal. I hope it's hopeful for everybody, right? If you're going yeah. to the new year with fear, that's a, it's gonna be a tough year yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. But 2023 was tough, right? So yeah, yeah. I kind of want to talk about how last year was and what you saw and yeah. then, and then, you know, um, what, what you're seeing for, for this year is kind of a good vantage point start of the new year to, and, and potentially kind of the way the new year lined up with, with the, the federal reserve hikes over the last, you know, uh, period of months, making 2023 a pretty tough year for real estate in a lot of ways. And then with the indication of what the fed might do in 2024, the markets maybe have a little more hope. I thought that was interesting how that kind of broke down last 2023 versus 2024. So would you see in 23 and, 
after we get through that, we'll talk about what you what you think for the year ahead. Yeah, for for 23, you know, a lot of what you saw, right? So obviously interest rates had a huge, you know, a huge impact on the market. Um, lots of loans were variable. Um, I, I spoke at a conference in in May last year. And uh, in preparation for that, I did a lot of research. And um, one of the things that we saw was, I believe the number was, uh, there were $37 billion worth of real estate uh, that was in risk for default that was going to be coming due. Um, you know, and it was, it equated to like a, a third or a fourth of all real estate um, or commercial real estate loans. So lots of risk and, you know, chaos from that standpoint. Um you know, what we've seen to right towards the end of the year, rates started to come down just a little bit there. And I think that provided a little bit of relief in my own portfolio. You know, we kind of have deals where we have fixed rate debt that, that weren't impacted as much. Uh, we have deals that do have floating rate debt where we did see a little bit more of an impact. Most of those deals, actually all those deals, uh, we have a, a rate cap on them. But nonetheless, it's still going to add some some stress to those deals. You know, for us, and I think this this ladders up to 2024, your approach, and how do you make adjustments to that, right? Investing in 2020, 2021, uh, maybe it's a little bit different than what people are doing now. But I think it just goes back to fundamentals. You know, I think it was uh, maybe a little too easy to go out there, buy a property, uh, put a little bit of work into it, and then sell it, you know, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months later for a large profit. Um, now, if you're going to be acquiring a property, uh, I would expect to have longer hold terms, right? Yeah. Five, seven, eight, nine, ten years, maybe. Not to say that you want to hold it ten years, but I think you need to be in a position to hold it longer if you needed to, um, and that means focusing a little bit more on cash flow. Uh, I think many operators didn't focus on cash flow and maybe dismiss that because, hey, we're going to buy it at a four and a half cap, we're going to sell it at a four cap, and who cares about the cash flow because we're going to, you know, we're going to make our money on the exit. Yeah, I, I, I think that strategy. Um, the flaw in that strategy is is coming to light right now where you have deals that are not penciling, they're not cash flowing, and there really is no path to those deals cash flowing. The only option or the only hope some of those operators have are for rates to come down so they can sell it at a premium. And um, and that's not to knock anybody. I mean, it just, it just is what it is. Yep. Um, but I think that's the challenge with those strategies, right? So for us, you know, we invest primarily in the Midwest and then growth markets in the Southeast region. And these markets are not quite as sexy as maybe some other markets, but we like to have markets where there's reliable, you know, reliable income, reliable income growth. And it's 2%, 3% growth, you know, maybe four or five if we're really, really pushing it. Right. Uh, but it's not going to be a 20% rent growth year over year type thing. You know, we're certainly not factoring that into our underwriting, but these are markets where it's desirable. People want to live there. There's solid jobs, diverse economies. Um, it's easy to do business. I'm talking about markets like Louisville, Indianapolis, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Those are markets that we really like to invest in. In the Southeast, we're talking more about, you know, the Carolinas. We're talking about, you know, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we do like Texas. Haven't done a deal in Texas in a while, but, you know, markets like San Antonio, your backyard. Sure. So we, we try to be very mindful of the markets. Uh, certainly there's going to be demand and growth. But ultimately, if we, we strip things all the way out, right, not to get technical, so to just make this really, really simple. When we are investing, we want to identify how much demand is there today and do we realistically expect the, the demand to be higher in the future? And that demand is on two fronts. It's on the renter front and it's on the ownership front, right? 
And when we look at some markets, just because you have, you know, um, population growth, that's great. But if you have a lot of new developments coming into that market, especially if you're doing class A or B plus type stuff, if you have a lot of new developments, well, that's going to hurt you from an absorption standpoint. And that's going to make it challenging for you to, you know, get an owner in the future to pay more than what it's worth today. So for us, again, when we talk about some of these Midwest markets, it's not prohibitable for, for them to go out there and develop brand new um, affordable type product. So we're not really competing in that A class uh, property space. So in that B class space, really it's hard to come out there and develop that product in some of these markets. So we feel like we have a really nice, a nice niche there. Uh, to play into. So I, I just think strategy wise, you know, find an area where you can compete where, um, you know, you're not, you're not getting clobbered by, by some of these uh, other groups, but also quite frankly, where you can hold the asset, you know, it can cash flow, uh, you've got some upside, but ultimately if you just keep it really, really simple, where there's going to be strong demand going forward. Yeah. Demand drives everything. I love it. And I appreciate the recap. I want to pivot a little bit, John, talk about your life as an entrepreneur versus an employee. Um, big, big change there. You know, I, I, I study this a lot. I think about this a lot. You know, do you think it's, uh, it's an innate thing to be an entrepreneur that you just came to, or do you think it's something you developed in yourself and how's your life, you know, employee of the past versus entrepreneur now, you know, your schedule, your, your habits. And, and that's, a, that's a big change. I always like to kind of understand, uh, how people are looking at that. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have different models of, you know, employment to look at or work to look at. So like within my own family, I have uh, entrepreneurs, as, you know, in my family, I have folks who work W-2 jobs. My dad is as blue collar as they call him. He's had like three jobs in his entire life. Yeah. Uh, and if it was up to him, he would have had one job, right? He had to, he had to get pulled away. Uh, like my, my stepmother, <laughs> she, she filled out an application for him, for him, for another job. He didn't even apply himself. Like she wow. filled out all everything, sent it in, yep. uh, and he got the job and he was like, Oh, I guess I got to leave this one now. Um, uh, but, but he, he's a dedicated, loyal kind of guy. That's who he is. Right. Um, so I, I say that to say, I, I also watched that same person on strike, right? He, he has a union job and I watched him on strike. And I, I remember being a teenager and seeing, you know, what that did to him. He had to get another job as a truck driver and got his CDL license. And I just remember that as a kid. I also remember, you know, the entrepreneurs and the lifestyle, it, you know, ripping and running, working long hours, you know, having to just, you know, go anywhere at any time to go do something, random stuff from picking up a check to, you know, hey, I got to drop off these materials to, hey, I got to go take, pick up this employee and drop them over to the job site. Um, so, but they, they had a lot of freedom and flexibility, right? Stuff will come up whenever. So from a mental standpoint, I think I, I always took that in to say, okay, you know, I want the stability of, you know, a day job, but, you know, I wanted to be in corporate America because I didn't want to deal with the stuff like my father went through, right? My dad yeah. worked really hard, long hours, third shift, you know, again, as blue collars they come, uh, he liked to call me a pencil pusher uh, because he just felt like I, you know, had a nice cushy desk job, which, you know, listen, I'm truth. I did. I did. It did. Right. It is what it is. Yep. Um, but I remember not having a lot of control over my time. Right. right. In corporate America. And I remember distinctly, 
starting to get that feeling even early in my career. Um, and I didn't mind working long hours. It wasn't that. It was more when I talked to seniors, uh, the senior executives, and get a glimpse of their life, what's going on. And, you know, you and I, before you hit record, we were talking about our kids and our family, right? I would ask them or someone would ask them about, you know, the kids or work-life balance. And you could see a huge discrepancy. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about the, the the men senior executives. I'm talking about men, men women. Um, I remember specifically, um, I was like an, an intern or first year at uh, this company. And someone asked about work-life balance. There was a, a meeting they had for the young folks who were just starting. And someone asked about work-life balance. And the person said, oh, you know, they, they tried to say it was good work-life balance. And um, they asked a person about, you know, their kid. They couldn't remember what grade their kid was in. Um, they they were, you know, you could just tell they were struggling with like basic information. And it just, it kind of hit me like, huh, okay. Like there's a sacrifice. If you want to get to that level, the truth of the matter is there's a sacrifice that's going to be made and more than likely it's going to come from family. So as I started to rise into corporate America, um, that sacrifice started to hit me where I actually missed my son's, uh, I think it was a second birthday because mm. I had to be on set for a shoot. Now I was there for the birthday party, but like his actual birthday, I couldn't get out of going on set. Like it was a, it was a problematic client. They like, I was senior enough. They wanted me. They felt comfortable with me. I couldn't send a junior person. And I just remember being on set, just, just pissed off, man. The whole day I was just, and I was, I was mad at myself. I was mad at, you know, the situation, but I will tell you this, and this is something that I hope can help a listener. I had to come to terms with my values because I always valued family. And I would tell you that in a heartbeat, right? My family comes first. It's very important to me. But I also valued being a hard worker and I valued being dependable. I valued, you know, um, building my own career. And in that very moment, two things I value very highly um, they, they came up against each other in competition and I chose to go to that thing. I didn't tell, no, I could have told my boss was a CEO. So I was senior enough where my boss was a CEO. I could have told him, Hey man, it's my son's birthday. I'm not going right. And he probably would have figured something out. Maybe he would have went himself, but I didn't want to put that bird on him. Instead, I kind of looked for someone else to go and say, Hey, can we send Jimmy? And nah, Jimmy can't go. So I, I did that, but I didn't say, Hey man, I'm faced with this dilemma. You know, can you help me here? I made that decision myself. And at that moment, I said, you know, this is the last time I'm doing it. I'm not going to put myself in a position where, you know, if, if I say this is my priority, then it needs to be my priority. Right. And it, and it seems simple. But the truth of the matter is so many people, they they do things. We work hard. We, we bust our tail. We work long hours. You know, we miss events. We, we miss certain things for our family to provide for our families. And it's not the truth. Your family wants you. Right. Um, th this came up in a second incident uh, when I was doing real estate and it was a Saturday in the summer. And my son was maybe again, maybe two or three. This might have been around, around the same time. Um, and we were turning a unit at, at our three unit. And um, I got a quote for painting. It was like eight hundred dollars. Like, I'm not paying you eight hundred dollars to paint. I'll do it myself. So I went over there and I painted this unit and I paint the right way. Right. So we're talking about cleaning the walls first, you know, filling up any holes, um, you know, doing a, a primer, you know, two coats of paint. So I'm over there like six hours. Right. And my wife is at the park with my kid. Now, keep in mind, I was working a full time job. So this Saturday, you only get so many days off. Right. Yep. I spent my Saturday in the summer 
in this hot apartment watching paint dry. And I asked myself, now again, I'm investing so I can have financial freedom, right? right? right. I'm flexibility. I could be a more present father. And what am I doing with that time and that investment? Working. So I had to step back and say, you say you're doing this all for the right reasons, but are you? And I had to step back and say, well, okay, look, if you if this is really your priority, make it your priority and you have to shift the way you invest. You can't get caught up on paying someone 700 bucks or 800 bucks if the alternative is you missing a Saturday afternoon with, you know, your your toddler. Like you only have so many of those, right? Where you can truly be vested, focus, lock in. They want to be around you. You only have so many of those. So that's really when I started to shift and start thinking bigger because I also knew that just keep buying duplexes. Like you're going to, you, there's not enough money coming through where I can profit by paying someone, you know, 800 bucks to paint or all this kind of money. So that really helped me shift. And I would, I would push any of your listeners to understand that's the reason people look at bigger properties. I, I know some people do it just for numbers, but for me, it was more, I knew I was on the right path. I just had to adjust my strategy because the strategy wasn't allowing me to uh, to really keep my values and my priorities at the level where they needed to be. Yeah, that's such an interesting story. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, interesting how in the real estate space we see highly compensated W-2 individuals get the real estate bug and come in and do uh, do a job like painting or plumbing or handyman work that, well, you know, you already – spent a good portion of your life to get to a point where you had a high income job and now you're trading your, your weekends for effectively, you know, property management role or something else. It's not a high paying job. Interesting. Um, but you gotta, you gotta get there somewhere. I mean, it's a, it's a huge leap going from a well-compensated W2 situation to matching that in the entrepreneurial world. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't happen overnight, but I, I, a lot of us have run into that, uh, you know, a single family home, can be a fantastic investment, fantastic cash on cash, tax advantages, appreciation, depreciation, uh, all these great things. But three hundred bucks a month cash flow, you know, is not gonna retire you or whatever. And so, you know, at some point you've got to you've got to leverage other people's time, money, and knowledge to to scale it bigger. But it, it's it's not a smooth and straight path like anything. You know, doing doing big things is. Uh, is filled with all kinds of trials, but I, I love hearing your your story specifically there. I want to talk about um, how you've built your brand over the years. So today with Casman Capital, you've got consulting, you've got the podcast, you're speaking, uh, you you know obviously have a uh, marketing background before getting into real estate. Mm-hmm. But what's um may, maybe what would you say to somebody just starting out and wanting to kind of go down this road of of building a capital company and getting into real estate and and putting together bigger deals? Um, what are some takeaways for that person getting started building building their brand? And what are some things that have helped you build build your brand over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing is understanding the word brand. Okay, um, I think sometimes people hear brand and what they what they think of is marketing right podcasting and speaking and websites and colors and logos and that's not really what a brand is right those are representations and elements that make up a brand Mm -hmm. but a brand is the reputation that you and your company has so that's the brand when you say dje 
what do people think? What do they feel? Is that a recommendation you're going to make? Is that something that people are going to stay away from? That's the brand. Everything else is just a mechanism for us to articulate elements of that brand. But authenticity is it, right? You got to show up. You got to be who you are. I could have, you know, I could come on here and say the smoothest things ever and get people really excited. But if if I don't show that, you know, when someone calls me to want to do business with me, then that's a part of that brand as well, right? right? So it's really important to understand just the authentic element of who you are, what you want to be, and what you want to deliver. Um, what are you good at? What are you great at? What do you really enjoy? Let's start there when you're talking about building a brand because that's where people are going to give you credit. You know, if Nike, which we all know primarily as kind of an athletic apparel company, started with shoes and maybe, you know, T-shirts and sweatpants, whatever it is, right? But if they decided to make cars, some of us would say, I, I don't think I want a Nike car, right? Um, may maybe you give them credit from technology standpoint to do a car, but it seems a little off, you know? Um, Apple, on the other hand, went from computers to iPods and music to iPhones, to now watches and anything else in technology, right? So you, it's not to say that you can't expand your brand, but you've got to get credit. People have got to believe and trust in you for something before you can move on to the next thing. So from my standpoint, um, I, I think it's really important to figure out what you do well and then figure out how to get a megaphone to amplify that. And that's where the marketing comes in, the podcast, the, the speaking and everything else. It's just a megaphone. You know, you, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be who you are, but you now have a platform and a megaphone to reach more people. If people do not know who you are, they can never do business with you. Right? right. And that's why I think everyone should look at those platforms, but selecting which ones are right for you comes down to where can you shine? You know, if you are someone who is maybe a little more shy and not really comfortable in front of a camera, um, maybe blogging is great for you. Maybe you're, you're a wordsmith and you can sit down and you can put together great thoughts or great pieces, case studies, documents. Um, maybe you have a great bubbly personality. Maybe videos are great for you or podcasting is great for you. It really depends on what's going to allow you to put your best foot forward. But then I would also say it doesn't just have to be you, right? Hmm. Who around you, you know, can you bring people into your team? Maybe there's someone else who can play a certain role. Um, I think about bigger pockets all the time like this, right? So many people for so long thought Brandon Turner was the founder of Bigger Pockets. Yeah, right. He's not, right? But, yeah. but he's the bigger personality. He's the one that, you know, he's stands out and people think about. Um, but but it, but it wasn't Brandon, right? So that's the thing where if you're creating something, it's okay to say, you know what? Here's what I can bring to the table. Why don't we bring in someone who who could really help with this piece or who can do this? That's why brands have sponsorships, right? That's why they go and that's why Nike goes out and gets a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan or whoever else because they've got the platform themselves to be a personality and and most people are going to look at it and say, okay, hey, if this product is good enough for that person, it's probably good enough for me. And it's the same thing for us, right? If you know you have your investors, I've got my investors, you know. Those investors have referrals, just like any other client or service, right? If, you, if you've got a great cleaning company and you they do a great job for you, I'm, and if I'm looking for a cleaning company, you might say, hey, you should check out my guys. They do a great job. They come, right? That's the brand. They didn't say anything. It's you sharing your experience. And, and the best way I would summarize this is to say, a brand is what people think about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. So if I if you ask me about, you know, my company or any other company, that's the real brand. The brand is what do they say when you're not in the room? What's your reputation? What's the experience like working with you? 
Um, that's what you really want to focus on. And then you certainly want to have marketing platforms to help you amplify that message. Man, I love it. I love it. C concise. And there's a whole lot in there. And that's a, a lot for people that are building this or thinking about building this to think about. So thank you. Plans for 2024. What do you, what are your goals and 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 targets or or trajectory or things you guys are pursuing in this uh, new year that we're in? Yeah. So we um, at the end of the year, I like to take a couple of weeks and really do a bit of a deep dive on what's going on in my life, my business, what worked well, where do we need to get better. Um, one of the things that came out of that for me was recognizing there's some things we do really, really well. Uh, and some things that I think we could continue to get even better at, but yeah. we haven't devoted enough resources to it. So going back to marketing with my background, with my knowledge, uh, and having conversations with a lot of people, I realized that's an area we need to we need to invest in even more. So that's something we're going to focus on more for 2024. And, and the goal is to actually help other people through some of these efforts as well. So that's something we're going to be working on to, to build out that platform. Uh, focusing on working with investors even more than we have been and creating the right opportunities. Um, we've got a, a lot of great relationships with um, operators, developers, investors all around. So we want to be able to really curate the best of the best and the unique opportunities that some of our investors wouldn't have access to without, you know, that relationship that we have. So that's going to be our focus is really, you know, one, identifying unique opportunities to put some of the best deals in front of our investors, mm -hmm. um, while also really expanding kind of our marketing efforts and hopefully uh, creating opportunities to help other people as well. Yeah, I love it. There's, there's a ton of value there in finding those. Um, those re Real estate is just so local and it's so specialized and specific and that's what creates you know the opportunity there is this is not a huge globally traded uh market like the stock market or other things it's very hyper local and so and it's very relationship based so creating those kind of opportunities for people is it in the way you guys are doing it is a ton of value you're creating for somebody that doesn't want to go be the operator but still wants to participate um john this has been great catching up Love catching up with you. Love hearing about, you know, obviously your journey, but um, that you guys are are going strong after, you know, a, a little while in business now and love seeing you guys grow and continue. If somebody listening wants to connect, find out what you guys are up to, where do we send them? Uh, the easiest thing is just to go to our website, go to kasmancapital.com. We have a sample deal package on their website. So if you are looking to be active, raise more money or wrap your head around some of these terms and deal structures, it's just a great sample deal to wrap your head around some of those things. Uh, and if you're looking to be passive, it's a great way to wrap your head around what to expect and maybe what questions you should be asking right. uh, when you look at that. So we do have a nice little follow-up piece that gives you seven things to look out for whenever you're looking at a deal. Uh, but you can download that and check that out on our website at kasmancapital.com. And then like you, we're, we're big podcasters. So uh, we've got our show, Multifamily Insights. So if you like podcasts like this, uh, just find Multifamily Insights, subscribe, and, and check out some of the great information we have there. Awesome. It's a great podcast. I recommend people go check that out. We'll link to kasmancapital.com in the show notes. If you're listening, you can just scroll down, check that out, visit uh, with John and and get, in, uh, get on his radar there. So we'll wrap it up there. John, thank you so much for, for jumping back on the show. Uh, wish you continued success in 2024, man. 
Devin, thank you for having me and uh, great talking to you as always and look forward to staying in touch and building on some great things this year. All right, man. I love it. Take care, John. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.